Blog Talk Radio. Do you watch Fox News all day? Are you dizzy from conservative spin? Are you a birther or teabagger? You might be suffering from a condition called barachnophobia. If so, the only cure is Liberal Dan Radio. Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Central on Blog Talk Radio. Warning, Liberal Dan Radio is not a substitute for doctor's advice. Severe cases of barachnophobia may require psychiatric help. This may prove expensive if Republicans repeal health care. Listening to Liberal Dan Radio may cause you to embrace things like facts, logic, and reason. If these symptoms last for more than four hours, you have been cured. For more information, go to liberaldan.com. Welcome to Liberal Dan Radio. Top from the left, that's right. This is your host, Dan Zimmerman, coming at you from New Orleans, Louisiana. To join the conversation, it's area code 347-838-8368. That is area code 347-838-8368. You can also join in the chat room uh, and leave questions there or click the Skype button and connect that way. Or if you're listening after the live broadcast and have downloaded the podcast via iTunes, you can always leave your comments, questions, and concerns on the show thread at liberalband.com. Uh, lots of stuff to talk to today. At the bottom half of the hour, I'm going to be inviting Jason Coleman, uh, one of the people who is involved in the lawsuit against Uber drivers by the taxi drivers in the city. And we're going to discuss the lawsuit, uh, what happened last Friday uh, with the lawsuit. And you know, just basically I try and have a reasonable civil debate about people who likely we are in disagreement about the facts of the case. Um, but that's what reasonable people do. So um, also going to be talking about the election, <clears throat> the new law that was passed in Mississippi, the um, Supreme court ruling that I talked about on the previous show. But first, as always, I want to go to headlines. George Mason school of law renamed their school after Antonin Scalia calling it the Antonin Scalia School of Law, or asshole, A-S-S-O-L. That's right, asshole. Seeing the problem with this, they changed the name to the Antonin Scalia Law School at George Mason, still giving you A-S-L-S, or assless. George Mason should just give up trying to accept, should just give up trying and accept the fact that naming the school after Antonin Scalia is always going to leave you with an ass in the title. Former Louisiana Governor Bobby Jindal had a run for office based on the gold standard of ethics way back in 2007. This gold standard apparently included the ability to buy his own book from himself using PAC money so he could enrich himself off of his campaign contributions. When he said gold, I think he meant pyrite. In science news, it was reported that humans get aroused by touching robots. Newsflash. I'm sure you can find humans who would be aroused by touching a, the floor, the, the dishwasher, a car. It's called being a 14-year-old. In politics, a California representative, Duncan Hunter, is accused of using $1,300 in campaign funds to make video game purchases on Steam. What I want to know is how he had the time to play 50 video games whilst being a politician. He must not be getting much work done. Then again... Perhaps he is really representing his people, 
who may also be spending a lot of time playing video games and not getting work done. And that was this week's headlines. So I would be remiss um, if I didn't bring up the Wisconsin primary results from yesterday. Uh, First, uh, the Republicans uh, giving us another example. You know, they're trying to say, people trust all the superdelegates, the Democratic superdelegates, they're so undemocratic. Well, look at the Wisconsin results. 36 delegates for Cruz, six for Trump. So one-seventh of Trump got one-seventh of the delegates, even though he got 35% of the vote. So like maybe 14, 15% of the delegates after getting 35% of the vote. Cruz gets almost like 80, 85% um, of the delegates after only getting 48.2% of the vote. So it's clear to me that there's one process that is a lot more democratic than the other. It's not the Republican party. Furthermore, on Facebook a while back, I actually posted something that was like, if you're worried about the superdelegates, just wait until the Republican delegate process starts. And this is on my personal page. And People were like, no, no, that's not how it's going to work. That's just silly. Don't be silly. You know, they voted a percent. That's, those are people that are going to vote for these people. Like, no, you're, you're missing the point. You're not getting it. And it's happening. What I predicted is happening, and now it's being reported on. Because I remember what happened four years ago. Because what, happen what happens is, is you, you have a slate of delegates. So let's say, let's take in this for example. Donald Trump has six delegates. So six delegates from Wisconsin are bound for Donald Trump in the first round. And at some point later on, if, notice, if, if nobody has the full amount required to win in the first round, then they go to second round and third round. At some point, depending on state rules and party rules, or et cetera, these delegates become unbound and can then support whoever they want. So the idea behind this is, is that you have people getting in a meeting together and, you know, maybe making deals, maybe, you know, sitting here and deciding, hmm, you know, who's going to be the better friend. And all these people could well vote for somebody else. But in reality, you know, let's say, for example, I mean, Donald Trump, I think Arizona, he got all of the Arizona delegates. I think Arizona is a better example. Got all the Arizona delegates. Now, Ted Cruz comes in and manages to get people who support him to represent those delegates from Arizona. Sure, on the first ballot, you're going to have them required. There's going to be a requirement that they vote for Trump. But as soon as they become unbound, they flip, and now they become Cruz's. And so you can have... People who, hey, I voted for this guy to be a Trump delegate. Well, now he's voting for Cruz. But that's not how I voted. So, and that's how pretty much the Republican Party primary process is going to go if Trump doesn't manage to win it in the first ballot. And there's a, pro- a, a probability, a reasonable probability, not a, I don't, I don't know if it's, a, if it's more likely than not, but there is a decent chance that Trump might just miss it or miss it by a little bit more than just missing it, but he might very well miss this. 
misses target. And if it goes to multiple ballots, you're going to see a lot of his votes flipping. Now, is this going to be, can Cruz get enough people into those positions so that it's his supporters that become, you know, the, the Trump supporters automatically flip to Cruz without having to do any work on the floor? Who knows? We'll see when the final results come out. Now, I'll try to explain this to a conservative friend of mine who was just saying, oh, well, these people are changed. They can always change their minds. You know, a delegate who's supporting Trump can then change their mind if once they become unbound and vote for somebody else. And I'm like, it's not about changing their mind. If anybody, if Cruz manages to put a loyal Cruz supporter in as a Trump delegate, that person, again, is bound to vote for Trump until they become unbound. But there's no mind changing. There is, the absolute intent there will be for that person to, you know, eventually support Cruz if it gets to that point. There was no mind change to begin at all, whatsoever. So, but that's the Republican primary. Democratic primary being more Democratic than the Republicans, obviously. Um, 86 delegates were at stake. Uh, Bernie Sanders got 56%. Hillary Clinton got 43%. Uh, Bernie Sanders got 48 delegates, and Hillary Clinton got 38 delegates, a much more reasonable total. Now, from what people are saying, and I don't know if these include superdelegates or not. So, you know, again, as Sanders forwards would love to tell you, superdelegates can change. Um, and that's true. They can change. That's what Obama did. President Obama, when he was running in 2008, Hillary Clinton had a large portion of the of the delegates and those superdelegates started trickling over to Obama as Obama started winning, you know, Southern states and everything like that. You know what Hillary's doing now. So I don't know if the people are saying that Bernie Sanders has to win like 63% of every single state from this point forward. Um, I don't know if that includes superdelegates or not, but let's just assume it doesn't include superdelegates. Um, him getting only 56% means that he now has to get a bigger percentage of the remaining states. Now, you know, if he can get, if he can win California, I mean, obviously, if he wins California with more than 60-something percent, then that would allow him to do worse in less populous states. So, I mean, the idea that a state is equal to another state is silly. But this is just like an average. This is the average number. Because of the votes that the Democratic Party gives out of the um, pledge delegates are because they're given as a percentage and not as a winner-take-all or weird, here's your state, you win the state, you win the counties, blah, blah, blah. Um, and because of that, as they get closer and closer to, that, to the end date, um, as Sanders manages to not get what is needed, then guess what? Sanders is becomes less and less likely to get the nomination. Now, one thing, you know, that has been discussed in this, in this election, the Democratic Party, is the idea of raising the minimum wage, and Sanders wants to raise 15, Hillary says 12, but <clears throat> instead of tweeting the week this week, I did, it took a screen capture of something I saw on Facebook and shared it. And it's kind of my pseudo tweet of the week this week. It's, and the guy says, you bums want $15 an hour, get two jobs. Now, 
my response to the individual was, math must not have been your best subject. Why do I say that? Well, you think about it. Somebody wants $15 an hour, and they're currently making what, seven something an hour. They're supposed to get two jobs. So they're supposed to work those two jobs concurrently within the same hour? Really? No. If you're working and getting seven fifty an hour, let's just say seven eighty five or whatever the minimum wage is at the point at this point. And you want to make double that, then you have to work eighty hours, not two jobs. You have to work eighty hours a week to get it. And that's not even the same because when you work eighty hours, well, you might be able to work a little less or a little less than eighty hours because once you start getting into over well no. If you have to work eighty hours in the same job and get overtime. But if you work 80 hours in two different jobs, you're not getting overtime. So if you work comparatively, you know, you're, you're still not getting the same value for your dollar because working more than 80 hours or the 40 hours in a week at 50 an hour, you're going to get better on a better um, overtime compensation as well. So, and then like somebody came afterwards and said it's actually somebody that I blocked but managed to get a new Facebook account so I'm no longer blocked by him or what have you um, but this is you know basically he came over what did he say he said something to the effect of uh, about Obamacare and saving people $2,500 and it's about that math and I'm like well A I never said that and B he never said that and see if you want me to school you on the idea of whether or not um, that what, what was said and what wasn't said, I'll be more than happy to. But he didn't appear to want to be schooled, so I'll just let it go at that for the time being. If he comes back and later wants to be schooled, I'll be more than happy to educate him. The short version is uh, Obama did use some political weasel words when he said he said that these could save a family of four up to $2,500. So could and up to are very weaselly words. And politicians do it. And I'm not saying I support that politicians do it. But <coughs> could save up to really doesn't kill you anything. I mean, maybe – and, and I, don't, I don't even think it goes that far. I think it's the average family of four. So – Maybe it could have been median, one of the two. So high-paying families of four would probably save less. Low might save more. The median or middle, the average might save that amount up to, depending on what kind of health insurance they had previously and what the health insurance they have now and comparing costs or what have you. So I'm not a big fan of using those types of words, but you have to take the people in as what they say and not necessarily what they, you know, not necessarily what you think they said. And that's, that's, that's a big difference. So let me go ahead and take my first commercial break and I'll come back um, discussing uh, the Mississippi law and the Supreme court ruling that took place this, place this week. Um, and at the end of the hour, at the end of the half hour, we'll go ahead and uh, we'll be having on uh, Jason Coleman from the taxi cab lawsuit taking your calls as well. 347-838-8368 and the code 347-838-8368 
This is Liberal Band Radio. Talk from the left. That's right. Are you planning a trip to Disney soon? Do you want help avoiding spending mistakes and making the most of your vacation? Then check out BudgetEars.com, a new site devoted to helping you get the most mouse for your money. What kinds of tickets should you get? Is the dining plan a good deal for you? Should you stay on grounds or not? Should you buy park hoppers? Many other sites are filled with information about what other people like to do. But BudgetEars is geared to help you make the best decision for you. So check out BudgetEars.com or go to YouTube.com slash BudgetEars and help make your trip the best it can be. BudgetEars.com is not a travel agency and it is not affiliated with the Disney Corporation or any of its holdings. I am sick and tired of the propaganda in today's media. You know, we can't have a sane discussion about politics. Well, yes, you can, and it's on ROJS Radio Live with the girls, Monica RW, and Autumn S. I'm there every week when they discuss Michigan and national politics, job search, unemployment, and more from an independent laugh, sanity-based point of view. So, tune in. RJS Radio Live, Saturdays and Sundays at 11 a.m. sharp here on the Blog Talk Radio Network. And welcome back to Liberal Dan Radio. It's Talk from the Left. That's right. This is your host, Dan Zimmerman, coming to you from New Orleans, Louisiana. To join the conversation, it's area code 347-838-8368. That's area code 347-838-8368. Before the break, we were talking about uh, the Wisconsin primary um, and the silly little post that was made on Facebook about um, if you can want more money, work two jobs. Um if you want $15 an hour, you can work two jobs. Again, very silly. So two things to talk about before we get to the bottom half of the hour, about 12 minutes or so. Um, first and foremost um, is the Supreme Court ruling. Uh, there's a Supreme Court ruling regarding one person, one vote. And in this case, in Texas, you had rural voters, rural conservative voters, pushing for the idea that non-citizens or non-voters should not be counted as part of the districting purposes, uh, trying to give, supposedly give the county, the, the, the rural voters more of a say and taking away some say from voters like uh, Latinos uh, in Texas who may not have, um, may not have as much voting power because you've now taken, you know, let's say you had 100,000 people in a district, um, or let's say a 20,000 person in a rural district and you had like 100,000 people in the, in the urban areas um, and you split up that urban area in the five districts and the rural area had 20,000, that's one district, that's six districts. Uh, but let's say you had, you know, half of the people in the, in the urban districts as being non-voters, but you had more, you know, maybe you had 90% of voters in the rural districts or maybe 80 or 70, I don't know, take out the kids. And so if you delete them all and you reduce them all down, you go to having like maybe like 15,000 and like 50,000. And that becomes a lot less say for the urban areas. And on its face, I agree that that would be reduction in voting power. However, 
if you allow for and that, that we had two things. So we we had not as bad gerrymandering before, and we all had the Voting Rights Act before, protecting uh, people in states from horrifically drawn lines. But the Voting Rights Act was nuked. And even before the Voting Rights Act was nuked, you had states like Pennsylvania redrawing districts as such that you could walk in, I think, Philadelphia and walk four blocks and be in three different congressional districts along your way. So... But in, like I say, like Texas, if they wanted to redraw the lines, the Justice Department would have to get involved first before any of the lines were allowed to be redrawn. Now that part of the Voting Rights Act was eliminated, you now have the ability in Texas to redraw lines any way you want. Now, and even even then, you know, you have Joe Barton in Texas, according to one of my followers on Twitter, um, local crank, is at the local crank. Um, Texas already has that. Uh, have you seen Congressional District 6? It is majority Hispanic, but represented by Joe Barton. So be, because you, you were able to make a majority Hispanic, but they don't vote. So even though you have majority Hispanic district, when it comes to total people, total voters are Republicans who voted Joe Barton. And that's what I'm concerned. I've, I've been concerned from – once I heard about this lawsuit, I've been concerned about the idea that you could then – Redraw the Texas districts in such a way, if you're allowed to take, you know, those, let's using, this is an example that was used on my Facebook page. It was using 100,000 voters. Let's say you're able to use 100, had 100,000 voters in one area or people in one area, but let's say 10% of them are voters. And then you had another 20,000, 10% were voters. You could draw the lines in such a way that, or let's say 50% were voters, I mean. You could draw the lines in such a way so that you have the large segments where you have high percentages of non-voters going into these rural areas. So they, the, the districts stop being purely rural and purely urban, but instead they become de facto urban because you put more voters that are you put more voters that are rural in there than there are urban voters. So even though you have these majority minority districts, most of them are not registered voters because they're kids or, or not citizens or et cetera. And so you wind up having more like my example, like her example, that, she, that person I was debating this topic with, like it basically gave an example of it going from five uh, progressive districts in one conservative district to one to one. I gave her a counter example, which basically said you redraw those lines and now you have five conservative districts and one liberal district because you're able to use those high concentrations of unregistered voters or uneligible voters uh, into those rural districts. And that's what happened in, in Pennsylvania. You had these lines that were drawn, and you created, they created one major, huge majority-minority district. That maybe had like, and maybe they win like 90 10, 80 20. You know, they, the people that represent those districts win with huge margins. The people in the conservative districts win maybe 55 45. That's still a 10%, a double digit margin, but they still are winning these seats because you've managed to put more conservatives and liberals into those gerrymandered districts. So those lines get redrawn. And I think people are going to be singing a whole other tune. And all you have to do is look at another lawsuit that's going on in Florida. I think Florida's, Florida's 
5th Congressional District. <clears throat> it was the majority African-American seat, uh, African-American congresswoman representing that district. And they had to redraw the line. So when, when they wound up redrawing the line, they shoved a whole bunch of prisons into her district. Thus, and then so basically it watered down the African-American vote, and she went from being in a safe district to being at risk of flipping because they were able to draw the lines. And this is a judge drawing these lines, mind you. They were able to draw the lines in such a way so that she loses her seat. So I, I have yet to hear an argument that allows me to get behind the idea that these laws, that these drawing of districts should include at least resident non-citizens. Perhaps they should include citizens who can't vote. They should definitely include registered voters. I think they should definitely also include persons who are eligible to vote yet are not registered to vote. So if you're an eligible voter but yet not registered or not an active voter, I think that should also count for representation purposes. People who may at some point become registered voters because they are citizens and put their children at the moment, maybe you should count them as well. I'm not totally convinced that you should include non-citizen residents in the counts. Because I think by doing so, at the end of the day, you are giving the people who redraw those lines huge tools to be able to fill up districts with large numbers of non-voters and put the people who they want in control. And that's not what democracy is going to supposed to be about at all. It's not what's about at all. And another thing that I, that I figured out in discussing this issue was there was a time when the South was arguing for slaves to be counted as persons for representation purposes, but not for any other purpose. And you know, the North didn't want that to happen because the South was going to get unreasonable representation in Congress because of this. And that's why they came up with the three-fifths compromise. You know, a horrible, horrible thing to say that somebody is three-fifths of, of a person or counts as three-fifths of a person for voting purposes only or for representation purposes only. But it was a conservative idea before to be able to use bodies of people who are not eligible to vote to in, to still count towards what representation you should have. And it wound up giving the South undue representation in Congress. So maybe we should learn our lessons from that. You know, but look, maybe somebody can give me an example as to why I'm wrong. Maybe somebody can give me an example as to why this is a reasonable. I mean, look, a friend of mine tried. I'm still, I still remain unconvinced. Uh, quickly, um, before we get to the next commercial or the news block at the bottom of the hour, uh, before we get to Jason Coleman. Um, Governor Phil Bryan on Tuesday of Missis- Governor Mississippi uh, signed the Religious Liberty Accommodation Act into law, making the Mississippi one of the most anti-LGBT states in the nation. Uh, the bill does not limit any constitutionally protected rights or actions of any citizen of the state. 
under federal state laws here. The legislation is designed to the, the most targeted manner possible to prevent government interference in the lives of people, uh, which all the state is derived, blah, blah, blah. Supposedly, here's the bill's provisions. Any organization can decline to, quote, provide services, accommodations, facilities, goods, or privileges for purposes related to the solemnization, formation, or celebration, or recognition of any marriage. Uh, employers can make a decision whether or not to hire, terminate, discipline an individual whose conduct or religious beliefs are inconsistent with those of a religious organization. Uh, Mississippians can deny housing based on religious beliefs. Foster care organizations and adopted agencies can decline to provide any adoption or foster care service without fear of retribution. Uh, there's already been a court case that basically said that's not possible already, but yet they still passed this. Uh, the state can't prosecute any person who declines to participate in the provision, treatments, counseling, surgeries related to sex reassignment or gender identity transitioning, or declines to participate in the provision of psychological counseling or fertility services <coughs> or any wedding or marriage Related services, schools and business owners can establish sex-specific standards or policies concerning employee or student dress or grooming or concerning access to restrooms, spas, baths, showers, dressing rooms, locker rooms, or other intimate facilities or settings. And because of this law, uh, many states have now said, we're not, we're not allowing official business to take place in Mississippi. Done. So perhaps, I don't know how much Mississippi uh, gets from uh, state government business tourism, but if it gets any, it has lost a bunch now. Anyway, let's um, go ahead and take the news block. Hopefully, when we come back, uh, Jason Coleman should call in, um, talking about the Uber lawsuit, lawsuit against the Uber drivers in the city of New Orleans, uh, taking your calls as well. Area code three four seven eight three eight eight three six eight. Area code three four seven eight three eight eight three six eight. This is Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left. That's right. You're listening to Win Workers Independent News, a production of Diversified Media Enterprises. I'm Doug Cunningham. Warehouse workers at California Cartage staged a one-day strike Wednesday protesting company retaliation for an earlier strike. More than 200 workers were told Monday they would be fired by the temporary staffing agency, AMRSSI. Cal Cartage uses that agency to staff its warehouse at the Port of Los Angeles. Stephen Hatch, a warehouse worker and member of the Warehouse Worker Resource Center, says that warehouse workers have many issues they want improved. Low wages, working through a staffing agency for an extended number of years, years without ever being hired by the company. The staffing agency winds up taking probably 40% of your wages. Working conditions that are unsafe and retaliation towards the workers by management. Hatch says that Cal Cartage is trying to intimidate workers at its warehouse from using their legal labor rights. That includes trying to instill fear into undocumented workers to keep them from uniting to improve their
under working conditions. The company had its supervisors call a meeting and tell the workers that weren't a part of the warehouse workers resource center that we didn't have the right to organize and that we didn't have the right to wear our organizing t-shirts and vests and that we were going to get fired if we went on strike. The 200 Cal Cartage workers fired by the temp agency are demanding they be rehired as direct employees. Federal labor charges have been filed. The Teamsters are supporting the warehouse workers. Here's an angry voter you can believe in. Florida Governor Rick Scott was confronted by Kara Jennings in a downtown Gainesville Starbucks. As the Republican Florida governor's security team turned toward the woman, she made it clear that there's plenty of voter anger directed at the GOP's anti-worker policies. Former Massey Energy CEO Don Blankenship was sentenced Wednesday to a year in prison, $250,000 in fines, and one year of supervised release for conspiring to violate federal mine safety standards in the Upper Big Branch mining disaster that killed 29 miners. Blankenship drew the maximum sentence for his conviction from West Virginia Judge Irene C. Berger, the daughter of a coal miner. Blankenship's sentence is less than two weeks in prison for each miner killed in the explosion. Wind is made possible in part by OPEIU. You've been listening to WIN, Workers Independent News. For more information, visit laborradio.org. Welcome back to Liberal Dan Radio, Talk from the Last That's Right. This is your host, Dan Zimmerman, coming at you from New Orleans, Louisiana. Again, to join the conversation, it's area code 347-838-8368. And it's area code 347-838-8368. Or you can join us in the chat room and leave uh, your uh, questions, or you can chat it up in there. Or you can hit the Skype button from the chat room page and go directly into the show and I could take your call that way, or if you're listening after the live broadcast, you can always leave your comments, questions, concerns, etc., over on the show thread at liberaldan.com. Uh, before the break, I was discussing uh, the Wisconsin primary and the results of there, and how the uh, Republican Party is definitely not uh, democratic when it comes to putting their votes out there, and how even though Bernie Sanders won, how uh, as each State comes and passes if he doesn't win enough to kind of make enough of a difference and make up the difference between the pledged delegates, let alone any superdelegates that are out there. Uh, he's, it becomes harder and harder uh, for his campaign to win. Um, we discussed the passage of the new Mississippi law uh, that will allow for a discrimination, discrimination against folks who are LGBT and under the name of religious uh, freedoms. Um, of course, there's the Supreme Court ruling um, over one person, one vote, and what that actually means. Um, waiting on uh, Jason Coleman right now to call in. Um, I'm assuming he is running late, so I'm hoping he didn't forget about it, because he did seem rather rather interested 
um, to call in um, to the show. So we'll give him a little bit more time to uh, um, just make sure I gave him the right phone number. I'll give him a little bit more time to call in. We have a half hour plus. Um, you know, but I guess before uh, he does call in, uh, let's go ahead and give a little bit of a review of what's going on with the lawsuit and with uh, what happened on Friday. Actually, one of the things that happened on Friday, I told my wife that I would be, um, I'm sorry, I went to Disney World over the weekend, um, over you know, Good Friday, and because I had an extra a day off, so we took and took a half day off or an extra day off on that day and uh, went ahead and uh, took just a short little jaunt uh, down to Disney World. Um, if you listen to my first commercial break, I have my Budget Ears podcast. Uh, well, not podcast, but Budget Ears website, and I give information on how to save money that way. And so I saved a whole bunch of information about that from that trip, and I'll be adding that to my uh, Budget Ears site shortly. So anyway, I'm on the way home, um, talking to my wife, and I said, look, April 1st is the day that, such was two weekends ago, I guess. Um, April 1st is going to be the hearing date over the lawsuit. And it, it looked like it's actually going to happen this time because it's been delayed several times. And I said, look, I'm going to say, if, if assuming nothing, that lawsuit doesn't, you know, to have a bad ruling in and of itself, I am going to say that it went horribly. And just so you know, just so you don't get fooled. Um, so I decided to do that. And, uh, when I, when it came time for me to do it and I did that, um, it turned out that she forgot what I said. And so I said, Oh, the loss, the, 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 the results of this, here's the results of what happened. And she private messaged me. It's like, what? what happened? I'm like, you really don't listen to me. I guess, I guess wives tend to not listen to their husbands, I suppose. Uh, it was. I did manage to get a whole lot of people uh, on April Fool's Day to the point where I was like, you know what, I have to say one more thing, April Fool's, because this really didn't happen this way. And you really shouldn't listen to what anybody says on this day. Um, I do have a caller. Um, not sure. Is this Jason? Hello? No, this, this is Naj, man. How you doing? Oh, man, I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm all right, man. All right, I'm going to put you back on hold for a second. Let me, I'm waiting for another caller to guess to call in and discuss the Uber issue, but um, I guess hit one if you want to chime in on something I'm discussing, all right? All right. Cool. All right, that's one of our regular callers. I should have recognized the phone number, but I'm a, I'm a bad host, I guess. So, anyway, so what really happened on this lawsuit, uh, on, on the hearing uh, of the lawsuit, uh, was there are several things that the taxi cab drivers wanted, one of which was they wanted to be able to um, tell the people that they were suing. No, no, there's a list of people who they were suing, uh, all of which, all of whom did, at the time that they brought the lawsuit lacked a Class B or chauffeur's license uh, because they're under the belief that you should have a Class D license or a CDL license if you're going to be operating an Uber 
in the state of Louisiana. That's one of the things to be discussed with Jason Coleman if he does call in. Um, so he wanted to, uh, so they wanted to be able to put a temporary restraining order or, or some sort of legal stoppage, however you want to word it, on people driving uh, for Uber without a Class D license. All right. A, specifically for the people that were named in the lawsuit, but also probably for the people that they wanted included to be brought into the lawsuit, meaning all other people similarly situated, all other people who drove, have driven for Uber from April 19th, whatever, or, or who are currently who or who would be continuing to drive for Uber without a Class D license from this point on. They wanted to stop those people uh, from operating because they view it as unfair discrimination because it is the argument being made by the plaintiffs in this case that people driving um, without a Class D license or a CDL license are doing so under violation of the law and as such are unfairly competing with the individuals who are driving taxis who are required to have a Class D or CDL license and other things. Um, so they wanted that to happen. Uh, the Uber, uh, the, rep- the attorneys representing the Uber drivers who are being, uh, I guess, provided for by Uber, um, they they made the argument that that they don't have the, you know, have a decent understanding of law. I mean, according to the attorneys that I spoke to, including on Friday, the April first, the Uber drivers, the re- attorneys re- representing Uber that were there that were in the audience with me. Uh, they basically said, I have a pretty good understanding of law. One of them was like, you should be a lawyer. Like, okay, cool. But, um, you know, basically you, you heard, you've heard me talk about standing. And, you know, I've always suggested that you should treat, I, I would treat standing very liberally. Shocking, I know. Um, that you should, if, some, if there's question as to whether or not someone has standing, lean on the idea that they're standing because, but especially when it came to issues like challenging your government on something or challenge the eligibility of an elected official who you have voted for um, in an election, those people should be, you know, have standing to sue like eligibility for some reason. Now, in this case, um, there's question as to whether or not they have the right to sue or if they have standing. And I'm not disagreeing that they have standing. I mean, I guess if you are suing, if you're claiming that somebody is unfairly competing against you, um, I'm guessing perhaps it's safe to say that as long as you can't make an argument that they're they're not similarly situated occupations, which I could make an argument for, um, but I still would necessarily I still put, would potentially lean on that. Okay, maybe they do have standing. I did question whether or not they had standing because I questioned whether or not they were going to be able to prove loss, and that's what I said in the previous podcast. If they, if they don't have, if they can't really prove what loss they might have had against these, what these, how these drivers specifically impacted them and how they specifically caused the taxi drivers to have loss. 
if it was impossible to determine, then I was, I was wondering how you would justify standing there. But it was ruled that they had standing, that they have a right to sue. Now, there's another question as to whether or not they have cause to sue. And I think that that argument is likely going to be made in at least 30 days. From, from the way I heard it, from the way I was understanding in the courtroom, was that the attorneys for the taxicab drivers were under the, you know, were trying to make this case, build this case on the Class D license. And the Uber drivers were basically saying, look, it's the state's responsibility to judge whether or not somebody is driving illegally or not. And therefore, the, it's not up to this court to make that determination. They're saying, well, we're not asking the state to fine people for driving illegally. We're just asking the state to, to, under, to at least acknowledge, we're asking the court to acknowledge the facts as we believe them to be true and to say, look, prevent them from driving any further whilst um, we make this determination as to whether or not there is unfair business practices going on. So this case will probably continue because the, the, attorney, the attorneys for the taxes, for the taxes, for the taxis, taxi drivers were trying to make other assertions based off of alleged activity by Uber drivers. Pretty much they were trying to say that, you know, they're doing other things as well that are in violation of the rules that are in place. For example, as an Uber driver, I'm not allowed to pick hails up from a curb. Like if someone waves me down and I've, I've had this happen where I'm, I drop off a passenger, maybe my window's open because I'm airing my car out because a lot of people smell like liquor. And somebody goes, hey, you're, you're an Uber driver? Yeah. Can you pick this up? Not without a call. I am legally required to only accept people through the app. I cannot just pick people up on the street. Why is this? A, it's one of the rules that were set up by you know, Orleans to make this not a you know, I stop being, I, I stop, there are certain laws in the state of Louisiana that cover transportation network companies and specific situations, i.e. me getting hails through an app. And there are certain insurance requirements placed on people driving for transportation network companies. If I violate those terms, then I'm no longer a transportation network company vehicle. I am a cab. And as such, uh, should I can and should be regulated as such because I'm not a cab. I'm not picking people up like a cab. Uh, there are current issues where we are not as Uber or Lyft drivers allowed to pick up people from the airport. So I don't do that as an Uber or Lyft driver. Um, I've picked up friends from the airport, but that's, completely different. That's not a business thing. That's a friend thing. Um, so, uh, but I do not, we're not allowed to pick up. Now, the companies differ. Uber will allow you to pick up somebody from Orleans and drop off at the airport with a minimum fee of 30 something bucks. 
um, Lyft doesn't allow you to drop off at the airport at this time. You cannot pick up or drop off a Lyft passenger at this time from the airport. Now, if the person at the airport goes across the street to some hotel or something and says, hey, pick me up here, <coughs> that's allowed. But, of course, they have to get there. Um, so, and they're, and they're currently in negotiations to determine whether or not they're going to allow transportation network companies to pick up from the airport as well. And the taxi cab drivers are aggravated just because they feel that the Uber drivers and the Lyft, and now the Lyft drivers are coming in into their, you know, t- trying to take away their money. Um, and I would have discussed this. Uh, I'm, I'm slowly giving up hope on Mr. Coleman. But we were going to discuss this uh, when he called in. There's the, there's a information that was released by city of new orleans that says what the impact has been on ride sharing with the taxicab industry and according to the city's department of safety and permits this is from the press release from the mayor's office the introduction of TNC service did not take away significant customers from the taxi industry. Instead, increased the number of overall customers utilizing for higher transportation. In 2013, there were 1.2 million TNC rides. During the same period, there were approximately 2.8 million taxi rides, down only 150,000 taxi rides from 2014, which saw approximately 2.9 million rides. Uh, so I guess it's 2.9 and change million rides. Uh, this decrease can be attributed to normal market fluctuations. In 2013, there were approximately 2.6 million taxi rides. Based on the city's analysis, TNC has provided approximately 1 million new trips that otherwise may not have occur- occurred uh, by meeting an untapped consumer demand for a different type of ridership experience. So um, that is the from ruling from the, uh, not as ruling, but that is the report from the mayor's office. And I believe... Uh, if I'm looking at my thing correctly, that we do have uh, Mr. Coleman on the phone. Is this you? Yes, thank you. Uh, hello. Uh, I'm just uh, chiming in. I apologize for running a little bit late today. And I see y'all talking about the mayor's uh, report. And um, it's a very interesting report um, because they never gave the footnote of the information where the, where the data came from. So we don't know if they actually uh, had good data or if they kind of fluff the data you know we're not saying that the mayor of new orleans will actually do such a thing but right. we know that uh when you look at a report and then when you do statistics you got to look at the overall uh picture and then you have to look at the specific uh items that they claimed uh as a result of their information and what a couple was found out was um when you look at the information as a whole if you don't know the market it would look like it's a very good report. But when you basically look at the laws that came into effect, I'll use one for example. When the meters were installed, the new GPSs, we were not recording flat rates. That means all airport trips or special event trips were not going on the meter. So when you look at the data and you analyze it from year to year, you're going to see the data go up as far as revenue. But it's not the revenue went up. It's actually that you actually recorded all of the data now because the law wasn't the fact that we were now supposed to record all of the data. 
before we didn't. So that looks like it's increased, but it's actually not an increase. It's just better reporting. Well, I do think they were talking about um, they were talking about um, rides and not not money. I think that's what they're talking about was well, the number of rides. So, and, and that's and, and it might be a fair criticism to make that let's say there were there might be more the number of rides might fluctuate, but the length of the rides might be different. For example, so that might be another possible way to look at the data and see well the data uh, may be may be you know it may be better one way and worse another way depending on how you look numbers. Statistics can be abused. Um, I'll be the first one to admit that. But let me let me. Start from the beginning. I, I did give a little overview of, of what happened on Friday at the lawsuit, uh, at the hearing about the lawsuit. Um, but, you know, first and foremost, I do want to say, you know, I think that the city of New Orleans has been unfair to taxi drivers, even before they allowed uh, transportation network companies to operate within the city limits. Um, I think when, when, when they tried to require uh, taxi drivers to have um, all of them have to accept credit cards. All of them have to go through, I think, a specific vendor or a list of vendors. Um, there are, you know, vehicle age requirements where if you had a well-kept-up 10-year-old vehicle that, that all of us, for some reason, is now no longer eligible to be a taxi cab. Um, to me, you know, that is unfair treatment of, of people who drive taxis. And, and I'm, I'm highly sympathetic towards that. And, and I was very much against the rules that were put in place uh, by the city. Uh, so I guess to start off on that foot, so at least we probably have a common ground in that area. Uh, but first, I, I just, you know, briefly, I just give my listeners a synopsis um, on why you think, uh, on, on why this lawsuit was brought forward. What do you know, what, why, why is this lawsuit ha- taking place and why is it specifically targeting um, named Uber drivers and the class of class D driver, non-class D drivers, if the judge allows for the class, um, instead of Uber itself? Well, uh, first of all, Uber is not a transportation company. They, they consider themselves to be a dispatch service. So they're a technology company. So therefore, they are immune to any of the transactions that are going on. They are just saying they are mere booking agents. And the actual liability and risk are consumed by the consumer and by the end user, which uh, the driver. And that's what their agreement is. Um, and so when you look at that and legally, you have to go with those individuals who are either using it, knowing it's illegal, or either the driver who has not uh, complied with maybe all of the laws that the city or state or federal government has um, in for hire or um, TNC network. I think uh, this time around, instead of suing the city, which we know that the laws, we all agree that the laws are unfair and unjust, that the city would not um, actually change the laws based on the protest of the judge because the mayor has not been forthcoming in a lot of the lawsuits or uh, sent decrees. And instead of tying that up, we rather force the issue and say, hey, driver to driver, you're hurting the, the full-time taxicab driver because of the scheme that is being done as far as the laws or the unjust uh, trade practices. When you look at apples and apples and versus apples and oranges, you understand that this is set up wrongly and is not on an even playing field. What we are saying is just simply we should have the ability to surge price. 
We should have the ability not to have all the uh, licenses and permits and fees that are associated with having a for hire vehicle. If that is the case, that you don't need all these rules and regulations, why are we held to such a high standard? Roger. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to jump a little bit ahead of myself. Um, and one of the um, one of one of the things I wanted to brought up, but I mean, you did bring up the fact that um, that there is sort of you believe that's kind of an anti-competitive that the laws that are set up by the city of New Orleans uh, for Uber drivers versus taxi cab drivers, you believe that it's unfair competition because the laws are anti-competitive. I don't think it's unfair. It is unfair. This, if okay. you put line by line, fact to fact. They don't have to do inspections. Taxi cabs have. Taxi cabs have cameras. They don't have to have cameras. We have meters. They don't have to have meters. When you go down the line and you look at everything from permitting to testing, it is a double standard based on taxi cabs having to have all of this, and the TNCs basically don't have to. And what we're saying is you have a, a clear um, more, more profit uh, ability, and what we're saying is this needs to uh, be fair across the board. Okay. Um, one thing I was, I was planning to bring up a little later, but I can bring it up now. Um, I'm not a lawyer. I'm, I don't claim to be one. and I don't claim to be an expert in law. Many of my lawyer friends have said I have a pretty good understanding of the law as a layperson. Um, but, you know, and even some of you have suggested that I should even be a lawyer um, or should go into it. But I was doing some research because, you know, I was concerned, you know, even though I'm not a named um, person in the lawsuit. I am somebody who has driven for Uber and I don't have a class C license. Um, I did get a postcard from you guys uh, over Mardi Gras say, stating that it could be violated in the law. Um, so I was looking at the laws and one of them is RS 334792, uh, um, which basically says regulation by municipalities or the local governing authorities of private for hire vehicles, however propelled providing passenger transportation services. Um, and there's a bunch of stuff. I'm not going to read the entire thing. Um, but basically it's saying that um, it's, the, it's the interest of the state uh, to allow municipalities to um, set forth the, the policies uh, in order to ensure uh, that people who want a ride can get a ride. Um, but basically it says every municipality or local governing authority uh, shall protect the public health, safety, welfare, licensing, controlling, regulating by ordinance, or resolution, each private passenger for hire vehicle, however propelled, uh, providing transportation services operating within the jurisdiction of the municipality or local governing authority. Um, every municipality or the local governing authority is empowered to regulate the following. This is entry into the business, um, providing taxi cab transportation services, including taxi cab service within the jurisdiction, rates that are charged, establishment of safety and insurance requirements. And then what I think is the, is the most important thing here any other requirement adopted to ensure safe and reliable transportation service, even if it is anti-competitive in effect. So, yes, it, the, the requirements that are set for Uber drivers are a different set of requirements than those that are set up for taxi cab drivers. And it may very well be anti-competitive um, to have the diff differing of those views. And it may also be unfair I mean, I would I would rec suggest that you know perhaps the city should regulate you guys less, but according to this law, it seems to say that cities are empowered to allow such anti-competitive agreements that they can tell one set of people you guys are allowed to operate with these 
set of requirements, and these other guys are allowed to operate within these set of requirements. Why the city chose to make them so different, I can't answer that. I'm not Mitch Landrieu. I'm not a member of the city council. But, you know, if, if the state allows for Uber drivers to operate in an anti-competitive way or allows cities to make that determination, then is that the fault of an Uber driver? Is, is that, you know, if we're, and if we're allowed to operate in an anti-competitive way, then why, why does that, why does it open us up to legal responsibility? Well, unfortunately, uh, the city nor the uh, state or Uber uh, or Riser, for that fact, d- obligated itself to tell its drivers or subcontractors that, hey, you might want to get a Class D license. Unfortunately, they didn't go through the whole rigor of understanding state commerce and interstate law under federal guidelines that simply states that if you are for hire vehicle, you fall under the guidelines of uh, X, Y, and Z. And one thing that the judge did mention uh, is that not only is a license uh, issue, one one would argue, and even attorneys for the uh, plaintiffs argue that they should have a, maybe a, a commercial license plate because that d- defines you as a commercial vehicle. So they are very uh, different laws across the federal, state, and local level that define what is for higher transportation and what the guidelines are. So we can look at one part and they'll say, hey, it doesn't matter if it's uh, un- uh, unfair or anti, but the other way you look at it and say, hey, look, you're supposed to have a license plate that's for hire. And then another one says, hey, look, um, you know, I can go through certain ones in, in length and say this could apply to uh, TNCs or to anybody that's going for business in transportation. And that's what we're saying. There's so many laws, and they, they may contradict each other, but at the end of the day, we're looking for some uniformity on how we're going to all be regulated. And that's well, what sure. the, really the crux of the matter is. Well, I mean, I would, again, argue that, there, that the state doesn't require uniformity on regulation. But, you know, you are bringing up other issues. You know, you say, okay, well, a TNC, I don't think necessarily federal law applies unless we are transporting people across state lines. If we're transporting people across no, state lines, and that's, and that's a whole if different you're on the interstate, it matters. No, the interstate state is maintained by the federal government. They have guidelines for interstate commerce. And so uh, one would argue that anytime you get on the airline, anytime you get on the interstate, you are subject to those regulations of the federal government. However, the federal government does not enforce its own guidelines within each state. They leave that up to the state to enforce them. But just because they're not enforcing them don't mean it's not the law. Well, I think they typically leave it up to the states. I think they typically leave it up to the states to enforce if if it's not – Actual state-to-state commerce, but and that's and that's what the judge was referring to. when she said, if they had a criminal case that had been brought before, then this would be a slam dunk. But since there has not been enforcement on the issue, even though it is on the books, that's another issue, and that's where the state and the local government has been saying, "Hey, look, we're going to stay out of it." But let me tell you, I have seen several tickets uh, when people are outside the parish in marked units uh, for transportation. But when you're in an unmarked unit, that's where you fly under the radar. Okay. But, okay, so let's get back to the thing. You know, you, were, you brought up two things. 
Um, you brought up the requirement to have a Class C license. You brought up the requirement to have um, a for hire license plate. Uh, so saying that your car is a vehicle um, for um, operating as a transport as, as a for hire vehicle. All right. So I have those laws up as well. Um, there's the motor carrier law, Part A, Part B, Part C. Part C represents uh, the transportation network company. Um, Part A and B represent other types of transportation. Now, Part A of the law, um, RS45 colon 181, uh, chauffeur's or driver's license and for hire license are required. It says no person shall engage in business of transporting persons for hire, uh, et cetera, et cetera, uh, without having uh, the proper license and should also have to have to be equipped with a for hire license plate. So that's, that's in Part A of the motor vehicle law. Uh, and Part B of the, of the motor carrier law, um, public carrier vehicle in definitions uh, means uh, includes any motor vehicle having a normal seating capacity less than 10 passengers used for the transportation of passengers for hire over any streets by a route, route or route uh, to the destination controlled by the passenger. So, you know, these clearly are, you know, regulations that taxicabs have to follow. And to me, it sounds like you're saying that Uber drivers should also have to follow those laws. Am I, laws, am I correct? Yes, under okay. the uh, RS32408B um, and on the 405.1. You know, okay. those, those so, are the laws that talk about it in the text. But, but here, here's, here's the point that I'm bringing up, is that Part A and Part B discuss the requirements of four higher license plates, discuss the requirements of a chauffeur uh, driver's license, uh, discuss the requirements, um, uh, the definition of what a public character vehicle is. Uh, but Part C... Um, which is the Transportation Network Company Motor Vehicle Responsibility section of the Motor, motor Carrier Law, RS45 colon 201.4, Section 3 says, personal vehicle, uh, when discussing Transportation Network Company, means a vehicle that is used by a Transportation Network Company driver and is owned, leased, or otherwise authorized for use by the Transportation Network Company driver. A personal vehicle is not a vehicle subject to Parts A and B of this chapter, or engage solely in interstate commerce. So to me, how I'm reading that is a personal vehicle is not a vehicle subject to Parts A and Part B of the chapter. So Part A of the chapter sets the requirement that you have to have a chauffeur's license and you have to have four higher plates. So if Part C says your vehicle is not subject to Part A, well then a transportation network vehicle by definition would not be required to have a four higher license plate and, wouldn't, and the driver would not be required to have a chauffeur's license. Um, so I guess that's where my I guess that's where my disagreement with the lawsuit is is that if Part C exempts personal vehicles from the requirements placed on other for hire vehicles, then to me that says that people who are driving without a Class D license or with CDL, i.e., people who are operating with a Class E license. Because I think we would all agree that if you had no driver's license, that you would be absolutely be illegally driving um, anywhere. So you need a license. No. Why that? No, not 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 no. Only commercial um, drivers need licenses. I think uh, it was upheld by the Supreme Court that you didn't need to have one. But each state operates its own uh, motor vehicles office and has deemed that that's another you know, way to identify or have identification for individuals. But I, I believe last year that the Supreme Court upheld that you didn't need to have a driver's license for regular uh, regular driving, personal driving. 
So then that brings you back to if you're going to be for hire or not, or if you're going to be in the network, then you would have to have a license. But that's, I mean, that's why I say there are so many different lawsuits or renderings uh, depending on district court, Supreme Court, state court, and it, it fluctuates back and forth. And that's what, you know, we've heard several times where they say, well, this district says this, that, that district says that. So that's the, you know, the law isn't point blank clear. It's convoluted. It's uh, separate and in and, and, and some instances very confusing to the layman. And when you look at all of them together, it looks like maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't. But at the end of the day, this is the argument that is being made that they need to clean it up. And that's make it across the board so everybody can play by the same rules and call it a day. I don't think this is anything against the drivers per se because he, he, here we go again where they didn't know, even though ignorance of the law is not an excuse, but those individuals that are playing with, I think, most of the knowledge of it did not even warn you that this could be a prohibitor and that maybe you would spend, you know, the extra $40 to get the license to begin with. So I think if, you know, everybody looks at it from that point of view that, hey, why didn't they tell me about it? Why, you know, am I, you know, now being identified and maybe a future uh, litigant? I, I don't think that's, you know, a good way to have a good business practice. So that's okay. just another thing I mean, to keep you in the dark on. I, I mean, I think, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm until, unless a court rules otherwise, I mean, I'm pretty much going to look at that the newest law, which is the Transportation Network Law, and basically say the intent of the legislature was to exempt uh, the, those, those Section A and Section B requirements from people doing TNC. And obviously you guys disagree. Um, but I guess one thing I would ask, though, is that let, let's say if everybody, let's assume that everybody who drove drive for Uber and I guess now Lyft, um, if everybody who drove for those two comp- under the umbrella of those two companies, um, if they all just went out and got their Class D licenses, you know, and let's say they did that from day one, would you guys have sued the drivers? No, the drivers would have been in compliance, I believe, with the law. Now, the other um, stuff that regarding the fair trade, that's up for the attorneys. I don't make determinations on what legal argument you bring, but the fair trade uh, initiatives are, um, you know, valid still. Now, do you well, well, sue the argue, company? Well, I mean, sue the company is one thing. I mean, that's, that's completely yeah. – or sue the city. But, but, you know, I would argue that, that a driver who was operating within the law as legally allowed um, wouldn't be operating unfairly. But um, one, thing I, one thing I did want to – another thing I wanted to ask – um, was or bring up the you know Uber has you know tells its drivers you know obviously it doesn't tell its drivers that it needs a Class D and if you ask Uber or if you ask Lyft because I've asked Lyft as well and Lyft directly said no you do not need a Class D license and it's because of the law that you're that I cited um, yeah so Lyft says that as well so it's not just that they're failing to tell people that they might need a Class D they're specifically telling people you don't need a Class D. Um, now, Lyft and because of the Louisiana law, Lyft and Uber ha- are, are required to cover um, as a transportation as, as these companies insurance while you're on the clock. So if I'm if I'm not on the clock, my if 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 I'm logged out of the app, my personal insurance is is the one that takes the hit if I get into an accident. But if I get into an accident while I'm on the clock, it's the Uber insurance, and I think. You know, Uber 
you know, they they would. I'm sure the the insurer of Uber and of Lyft would want to make sure that the people that are driving that are covered under that insurance policy are going to be properly licensed. So I would think that if there was a question as to whether or not you needed license, you know, CDL or a Class D license, that that probably would have been something that that would be have determined before they started operation. Um, now, obviously, the taxi drivers in this lawsuit disagree, um, but I, I guess I'll, I'll make that the last point on that issue, is that, is that I think that, you know, when you come down to the day, if, if there was any question over the requirement of needing a Class D license based on those insurance purposes uh, to be covered by the policies, I would think that if Uber didn't make sure that you didn't need a Class D license, that they would be opening themselves up to huge lawsuits if the insurer that they chose to insure passengers during and drivers during those trips said, well, we're not covering this because he wasn't adequately licensed. So, but Man. there's the other thing as to whether Man. or not. Yeah. Yeah. Man, are we talking about Uber? We're seriously going to say that they're going to follow all the guidelines and regulations. They have been known to be uh, habitual lawbreakers around the world. So no, I disagree that they're going to do everything by the book. And if you look at the law that you that you didn't state as far as the insurance requirement, it's going to tell you that your requirement uh, for each driver to be stated and listed on the insurance. Your Uber declaration page does not have any driver listed. It only has riser as the insured uh, person. So no, yes, that is it, incorrect. No, 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 you, no, 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 that's incorrect. Well, no, no I'm going to ask you. I have you, tell you. Have, I'm I just going to ask you a question. No, no, I'm not. I'm not asking about the question of the copy of, of that. I'm asking you, have you? Um, have you seen an Uber app, an Uber driver app open? Because the, the next time we get together, I could, I could show you, um, I can go to Uber app, go into settings, go to Waybill, and the Waybill gives the insurance information, and it actually lists. No, Dan. The, no, I'm telling Dan, you, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. No, no, Dan, Dan, Dan. I know, Dan, Dan, I have, I know, I personally know. And I'm saying okay. when you look at the decoration page, your name is not listed on the decoration itself. That's what I'm telling you. That has to be listed. Your name, just like your regular personal card, when you get in an accident, it has your VIN number, it has your name on it, you're insured. When you look at the decoration page for Riser, it's going to say Riser, and it's going to give you the same commercial insurance decoration page that all for hires have through um, the same company. I think it's um, uh, not American Service, but um, it's the same um, company, uh, you know, um, uh, affiliate. So I, I know what the decoration page is. I have in myself. And what I was saying is that when you get in the accident, you're supposed to have something that says your VIN number, your name, and you're the actual insured person. You are not the actual insured person listed on a decoration page. And that's stated by law that it should be. So that's what I'm telling you is not as simple as that. And, and, and I can probably tell you why, because from the point that Uber has 2,000 people in New Orleans and maybe another 3,000 around the, the metro area, that would be a lot of updating every day. However, that's what the law requires. Now, another thing I, I want you to bring up tonight is that when you look at the taxi cabs, there's 1,700 in the city. When you look at the limit on, on TNCs, there is no limit. So that's another thing that makes me think that they're flooding the market, and that's bad for everybody because the, the driver's not making money. They could make more money 
because they're flooding the market. That means you won't have as much surge pricing because there are multiple drivers all hours of the day. And for a city of our size, we have to look at how many people are on the street, crowding the street. We have bikes on the street now. All this is part of the law that's supposed to be studied before you issue out new CPNCs. And what the city basically did was give out a free pass for anything goes. And my thing that you should be responsible and say, hey, let's have a study of 500, 1,000, whatever the case may be. Right now, there's no limitation on the TNC, but you have a limit on how many taxi cab, pedicabs, horse and buggy, limos, everybody else's numbers. Well, I think, I think that goes back to the whole, you know, that the state allows cities to make laws and set up, set up ordinances and regulations that are anti-competitive in effect. I think that's, but that, that's just the byproduct of the, of the allowance of the state to allow the cities to do that. Um, but, a lot, you know, whether or not you want to accept the, the city's argument that was made um, as to whether or not, you know, that basically Uber's added, Uber added a million, a million ride riders or a million rides uh, within the city that would not have been accepted or would not have been there had it just been taxi cabs without Uber. Um, regardless of that, you know, when I've, I've, I've done very minimal driving for Uber. I mean, I have a full-time job that I work 40 hours plus a week. Um, so I don't have a lot of, you know, a lot of spare time to go doing it, but you know, here and there, and I'll, I'll, I'll get in my car and I'll go ride. Um, and one of the things, especially during Mardi Gras, uh, that I was hearing, um, from, from passengers, what, you know, they, I, I typically don't talk politics or anything like that with my customers, you know, you know, you know, talk to some issues, but nothing really serious. But sometimes they do want, they did want to talk about the lawsuit uh, that was coming around. And, and I said, look, I started off every conversation the same way. I feel that taxi cabs have gotten a raw deal in the city. However, um, you know, I, I don't necessarily agree that we're completely the same servicing the same market. I think a lot of the people, based on my personal experience, that are taking Ubers might not take cabs, you know, if, if, if that was their only option. Um, and a lot of the people, some of the people have told me when I'm, when I'm driving that, you know, let's say it's a busy time in the middle of the day or middle of the evening, like, you know, a lot of people partying, especially during festivals, events, um, somebody gets, somebody wants to go out to Metairie, um, from New Orleans and they say, well, can you bring me there? And a lot of times they, they say that the answer from the cab driver is no, they don't want to go out to Metairie. And, and I, and I, if that's the case, if someone says no, I understand why. Because when they go out to Metairie, then they can't pick up a fare. So the amount of time it takes them to get back from Metairie, they don't have a fare during that time period. Uh, so it's time off that they're spending on the clock that they're not earning any money. Um, but if, if, if that's the case, and if that's happening enough of the time, and I mean, I heard it from, from a non-insignificant number of my passengers uh, who I've given rides to so far, that, that they have a very hard time, and people who live in Metairie, people who live in Kenner, having a very hard time getting taxis to come drive them from downtown, especially during busy seasons, because the cabbies don't want to leave the, the French quarter area, um, French quarter CBD that, you know, they don't, they want to stay downtown. Um, if the taxi drivers are basically telling these people, no, we're not going to bring you out to Metairie. We're not going to bring you out to Kenner, especially during the busy times. Then is that really Uber coming in and, and taking your business away or is it you? Is or is it taxi drivers denying business and creating a, a kind of separate market uh, for individuals? You know, in the outlying areas where you might not see as many hits, 
Um, one example I give that I always talk about during Mardi Gras was I had a couple that wanted to, they wanted to go to Hammond, Louisiana. And surge is pretty high. Um, so I was more than happy to take them. But I don't think a taxi cab <laughs> driver would would have taken those people to Hammond. So if you know, if, if that's the case, no, then no. is it different markets? No, that's, that's, that's probably a novice um, opinion of the situation. My family's been in transportation almost 70 years, Dan, and I can tell okay. you this. A load is a load. A load is a load. I don't care if it's going to hotel to hotel. That's a load. I believe, and in, in my dad and I have both been through three or four states in order to do what we do. I would get people that miss planes, and they would basically get a cab from here to Texas or, or Florida. It doesn't matter. We go wherever the client um, destination is. And part two is it is illegal for a cab to deny their load. So I, it's always interesting when people say that because I say, well, did you report it? Did you get the cab number? No. Okay, because those are individuals we need to get out of the business because we have Coleman Cab, Sunset Cab, and if any one of my friends, anybody knows me to get on uh, Facebook or just hit me up and say, hey, I try to get into such and such cab, I can pull the footage, I can see them outside the cab, I can ask the driver what happened, and then we will make a determination if that person should be on our, our trade name. Because one thing we understand is that business is business. I don't care what you are. I don't care what your preference is. I don't care where you're going. We want to satisfy the customer at the end of the day and get paid for it. Now, I can tell you my app in the area that we use is on cabs and fitways. I can show you that our loads have dropped off since UberX came in. It was no problem when the limousines were in, but once UberX came in, I can show you the decline in business. So I would disagree and say, no, these are the same people that wanted a reliable transportation service that are now using Uber, and most of the time it's because of the price difference from what I hear. Because on the low side, Uber charges 150 a mile, and cabs are 250 230 a mile, and then special events is where you see the surge price or the fluctuation. And what I say is, yes, during those surge price times or those uh, high-volume times of calls, yes, we could use more people. That's what the part-time thing was supposed to be. But Uber is not part-time. It's not just working the outside areas. It's working the main downtown area where you have 20 cabs sitting in the cab stand waiting to do that same business. So, no, it's not different business. It was supposed to be designed or sold that way. But, no, these are the same trips that the taxi cabs used to do. And I would say some people may be taking some Ubers because it's cheaper than the normal taxi cab ride, and maybe those are the new trips. But we've definitely seen the decline overall in business across the board as far as our day-to-day operations. So, no, I would have to say I disagree, and I have the evidence to prove that those are not new trips. Okay, well, I mean, you well, and, 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 and if, you guys, if you guys are following the law and, and, and picking up all passengers, then, then, then that's great. And personally, as an Uber driver, I mean, one of the things that made me laugh when I read the lawsuit, I read through the lawsuit, um, uh, page 19 of the lawsuit uh, says, you know, the illegal practices alleged in this petition were knowingly committed by defendants in order to take plaintiff's customer base and market share. Um, I don't know who came up with that wording, um, but I know that when I decide to Uber, on any day I decide to drive for Uber, I don't think to myself, hmm, let me go ruin some cabbies night and let me go take some cab driver's customer base and market share. That, that, that's my intent. 
to do that. And, you know, when you bring up, you know, the fact that Uber has low rates, you know, lower, lower base rates, you know, honestly, when it's that time of the, of the, of the you know, when it's, there's no surging going on and it, it, it is absolutely not worth it for me uh, to get into <laughs> an Uber and drive. I'm not going to drive at that low rate. Uh, I am, I, I guess I'm, I'm the type of person you were described that Uber was supposed to be for a part-time driver to, to fulfill um, the need when the uh, part-time driver to fulfill the need when there's a lot of demand going on for the services. So, you know, perhaps I'm different than that. And, you know, there, you know, just as you said, is you know, you would want to have people removed from the system um, who don't pick up people like they're legally supposed to. You know, I also would like to see, you know, Uber drivers who take them out of the system. You know, I think somebody, the lawyers on, on April 1st uh, brought up, uh, you know, adding to the lawsuit, you know, Uber drivers who, um, who pick up people on the side of the road you know, not via a hail from or a ping from the uh, from yeah. the application itself. And I'm never going to do that. I personally can tell you that from day one. I will never do that. I'll hand them a card and say, look, you need to sign up for the app and you need to ping a, a rider, a driver. And if I happen to be that person, good for you. Um, but I'm not going to pick you up just, you know, on the side of the road because, A, I don't want to open myself to liability, nor do I want to violate the law. So and if there are Uber drivers that are doing that, I they should be off the road and they should be reported. Um, and those people may be, you know, potentially unfair business practices against all of us. <laughs> against, uh, you know, against yeah, I, people. I agree. I agree. And we and we have we have proven that that's going on, especially with the hotels downtown. But this is the problem: the city gave but, out zero tickets, gave out zero tickets to TNC, zero tickets in a year. So they are not interested in in governing that. And that's been part of our argument that. You know, the taxi cab, if your light is out, they tell you you do not operate. But yet uh-huh. we, we, we report these things to the city, and the city says, oh, okay, we're going to check on it, but they never do. And that's been part of our argument. But is it fair? Like, it's, it's I mean, so the lawsuit, one of the things that the lawsuit's trying to do is it's trying to incorporate all people who've driven for Uber without a Class D license since, since its inception in Orleans Parish. Is it fair to include a driver like myself, let's say, um, who follows all those other rules, Let's say it's deemed that, you know, Class D is not needed, say, for example. Um, if, it's, if it's found that, you know, some drivers don't follow those rules, um, is it fair to lump all of us in just because some drivers are being bad? Like, I wouldn't want to lump in all of the taxi drivers. I wouldn't lump in people in your company based on a bad taxi experience I've had with somebody else. I think it's unfair to do that. I think it's unfair to, you know, try and lump in all Uber drivers. Anyway. We have about three and a half minutes left before the before a hard finish of the show. So let me go ahead, let you make a final statement, give you about a minute or so to make a final statement, then I'll have to close the show. But go, so you can go ahead and, well, and make your final. I, I, I want to say just to answer your question, um, you know, like I I don't play attorney nor do I play judge, so I don't want to get in the fact of what a judge might say or do uh, on this matter. But I can say I can appreciate um, the need for more technology in the industry. I can appreciate the uh, individuals who are becoming ambassadors of New Orleans. I can appreciate us moving forward with a positive dialogue that brings about change and fairness for everyone. I think at the end of the day, we all want to make a little extra money, and we don't want to infringe on other people's rights or businesses. And 
unfortunately, everybody's in the middle of it because we have different sides that we're on, but in actuality is only one transportation network industry, and that's everybody included. And every cab company that is successful has a app as well. So I think we're all in the same business. It's just that we have to work together so that it benefits us all. And maybe we do need more limits and requirements on TNCs and less limited requirements on taxi cabs. And that's where the argument should be. That's where we should stand together uh, for a city council to do what's right by everybody. And I think that's where we're going uh, in 2016. All right. Well, thank you very much for calling in. If, if you know, as this case goes on, I'll be more than happy to have you back. We can discuss the issue further. But again, I am coming up against the hard thing. I do want to thank you for calling in. Um, you know, I would just only add uh, to, to that, you know, you know, if, if that's where we want to be, if, if, if we agree that, you know, maybe there should be more regulation of Uber, maybe there should be less regulation of cab drivers. I'm, I'm all for that discussion, but I don't think we reached that place by bringing a lawsuit between taxi drive, cab drivers and Uber drivers. I don't think we, I don't think that's the way to get there. That, that just creates animosity between the two sets when we should be, you know, working together if we want to have a better regulatory environment. Um, with that being said, that we are pretty much coming up at the hard break for the show right now, all hour and 30 minutes. I do want to thank uh, Jason Coleman uh, for calling in the show and being my guest. Um, I think it was a good discussion. I think it was a good, um, you know, sharing of what both sides of the, of the people believe. Leave it up to you, the listener, decide if you believe who's right before the ruling comes down. You know, I personally do believe, as I stated, uh, that drivers do not, for Uber, do not need class C because the CNC and Section C of the Motor Carrier Law exempts them. I also do believe that it's not our fault that the state allows cities to um, write anti-competitive laws. So I'll be back probably, if I'm back next week, I might be off next week, if I'm back next week, it'll be Thursday at 8 p.m. Central instead of Wednesday. Um, until then, that's not busy. Two weeks. Uh, Full day in radio. Talk from the left. That's right. <laughs>